Welcome to Wednesday Night at Faith Assembly, featuring the ministry of Senior Pastor Phil Goss. We're glad you've joined us. Gospel of John. He wrote 1st, 2nd, 3rd John. He also wrote the book of Revelation. And so he writes to these people as why, I mean, why are most of these books written? There's problems. Imagine that. And so there's still problems today, isn't there? You expect the church to be perfect. It's not. It's always a little messy at times. It's always a little difficult. And so he writes to them, and we're going to look at this book. It's a great book. It talks about love and fellowships and the relationships that believers have. And so let's begin with the proclamation of the truth. That's how he starts it out. He says, I'm going to proclaim what you need to know and what you need to hear. So in this letter, I'm proclaiming to you. I'm making a proclamation. Verses 1, 2, and 3. Now, notice the word. I think I've highlighted them there, so just pay attention. We proclaim, notice, we proclaim to you the one who existed from the beginning. That's what we're proclaiming to you. Whom we have heard and seen. John was one of the disciples. We saw him with our own eyes. We touched him with our own hands. He is the word of life. That's a big little sentence right there. He's the word of life. He is life. Jesus Christ is life. We'll get into that even a little bit more. Verse 2, the one who is life itself was revealed to us. We've seen him. And now we testify, and here it is, proclaim to you that He is the one who is eternal life. Not just life, eternal life. He was with the Father, and then He was revealed to us. Verse 3, we proclaim, there it is again to you, that what we ourselves have actually seen and heard, so that you may have fellowship with us, and our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. So he's laying a foundation. He's saying, look, I've seen Him, I know Him, I touch Him. I have one who has the ability to talk about him because I've been around him. I know him. So he's given his credentials to be able to do this. He also up front is telling them, this is what I'm going to be talking about. Because John has to deal with some very bad theology and some horrible teaching. Now, one of the ways you can tell someone believes something wrong is how they view Jesus. Someone knocks on your door, wants to talk to you about the Bible, ask them this question, tell me what you believe about Jesus. And if they don't believe what Scripture says, you don't need to listen to them because they're wrong. Because if you get that wrong, you've got everything else wrong. And so, He's the Word of life. He, he's the one who came. He's eternal life. John 1.1, 1, 1. in the beginning, the Word already existed. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. So Jesus, throughout His ministry, says, We're God. I'm God. This is what got Him killed. You know, that's what they couldn't tolerate. John chapter 14, verse 8, Philip says, Lord, show us the Father. And we'll be satisfied. Show us God. Jesus replied, Have I been with you all this time, Philip, and yet you still don't know who I am? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. 
So why are you asking me to show him to you? Don't you believe that I'm in the Father and the Father's in me? The words I speak are not my own, but my Father who lives in me does his work through me. Just believe that I'm in the Father, the Father is in me, or at least believe because of the work you've seen me do. You want to know what God's life, you just study the life of Jesus. Because the way Jesus operated with people is the way God operates with people. And so he says, here's who I am. I'm able to do this. And John's writing to kind of deal with this theology that's going on. Now, let me just give you a little bit about it. It's called Gnosticism, uh, G-N-O-S-T-I-C-I-S-M. And the people who believed it are called Gnostics. Now, we don't use those terms today, but the same theology is still prevalent today. It's just called other names. And there were two amazing major teachings about Gnosticism. In other words, someone came on the scene and said, hey, I've got a new revelation, and it's kind of a secret thing, and I've got superior knowledge, and let me tell you about it. Now, over the years, I've had some people come up to me and say, you know, God's just showed me something that He hasn't shown anybody else. You can pretty much check them off the list too, okay? And so, that's what it had. But the heart of it is, is this. Your body is evil. Matter is evil. Your, your, your physical flesh, it's evil. It's corrupt. It's no good. What is good is your, your soul, the inside of you. And so, people would go to two extremes. Asceticism, which is you just punish your Bible. Yeah, excuse me, your Bible. You punish your body in order to free your spirit. You just beat your body. I'll beat it into submission. It's no good, so I'm going to just beat it up. Or licentiousness, which means live however you want. You know, if your body's evil, your spirit's good, then it doesn't matter what you do with your body. Now, this played in very well to the people who were involved in idol or temple worship, which was prevalent in that day. Because what they do, go to the temple, offer a little sacrifice, and then party at the temple. You know, drink what you want, eat what you want. Sexuality was there, prevalent everywhere. So, why it didn't matter, it's just the body, I can do what I want to do. Here's how you hear it today. Hey, you can't judge me. God knows how I really am. Doesn't matter how I act. Therefore, throughout the epistles, you'll have the writers say something like this. Honor God with your body. They're coming against this teaching. So, you and I have to understand that Jesus Christ is life, and that we find life in Him. It's not something we have on ourselves. It's not something that's corrupt in us. And if you believe that, then, well, God can't become a man because man's evil. And so, He really has to address them. And John says, I heard Him. I saw Him. I touched Him. There's more here than just you thinking that you can operate however you want because your body's evil, but the inner part of you is really, you're, here it is, you're really a good person. Well, that's, Bible says, all have sinned. And so, that teaching was very prevalent in New Testament times. It swept the communities. 
and the writers, you will find them always having to address issues that are related to this. So John begins his letter with a proclamation. I'm going to proclaim to you this. And he listed three different things, three verses. I proclaim to you this. I proclaim to you this. I proclaim to you this. All right? We good? So then the person who is eternal life. The person who is eternal life. Let's go back to verse 2. We've already read it, but we're going to look at it a little bit better. The one who is life itself is revealed to us, and we've seen him. And now we testify and proclaim to you that he is the one who is eternal life. He was with the Father, and then he was revealed to us. Eternal life. Not just the length of life, but the quality of life. He gives life. Every person has eternal existence. Everyone lives forever. So when he says eternal life, he's not just talking, well, you get to live forever, but you don't get to live forever. Everyone has eternal life. But if you want life, life only is found in Jesus Christ. And therefore, you know, he is the one who is life itself. Apart from Christ, you're not living. Now, there's people, they'll go out on a weekend and do things and, you know, and drink things and everything else and party and do all that. And they'll say, man, this is really living. No, it's not. And so Jesus says it of himself. The writers throughout the New Testament, he is life. You want life? You only find life in Jesus Christ. And so it's every person has eternal existence. Matthew 25, 46. Now notice what it says here. They will go away into eternal punishment. So they're still aware. They're still living. The righteous will go into eternal life. Eternal. Eternal describes both, doesn't it? Now there's some people that want you to touch tell you that, well, hell's just a, not eternal. It's just a little bitty place, and after a while, it goes away, and it's not that way. God would never do that to somebody. They just don't understand the seriousness of sin and what Satan has done. And so, eternal life, eternal punishment. Only Jesus brings life. Remember, I said everyone has eternal existence. John three thirty six. Anyone who believes in God's Son has eternal life. Anyone. But anyone who does not obey the Son will never experience eternal life, but remains under God's angry judgment. Where's, what's that? Eternal punishment, correct? John 17, 3. This is the way to have eternal life, to know you the only true God, and Jesus Christ, the one you sent to earth. So John, the writer of the gospel, also writes 1 John, and notice how similar they are. And we know that at the end times, the book of life is going to be open. So you, when you talk about life and living, it's more than just, well, I live here on this planet. You do. But if you want life, it's only found through Jesus Christ. And once you're done on this planet, your life is not done. You keep going on, either into eternal life with God or eternal punishment. John chapter 5, again, John writes, I assure you that the time is coming, indeed it's here now, 
when the dead will hear my voice, the voice of the Son of God, and those who listen will live. The Father has life in Himself, and He has granted that same life-giving power to His Son. And He has given Him authority to judge everyone because He is the Son of Man. Don't be so surprised. Indeed, the time is coming when all the dead in their graves will hear the voice of God's Son. That's the second coming. His voice will bring everybody out of that. And they will rise again. Those who have done good will rise to experience eternal life. Those who have continued in evil will rise to experience judgment or eternal punishment. I can do nothing on my own. I judge as God tells me. Therefore, my judgment is just because I carry out the will of the one who sent me, not my own will. I'm doing what the Father has instructed me to do. I'm bringing life to people. And those who accept me and receive me will get eternal life. Those who reject me and go against me will have eternal punishment. Pretty black and white, but we don't like it. Or we like it, I hope. As Christians, we like it. But the world doesn't like that. You know, oh, God could never do that. God's not like that. God isn't. Yes, He is. It's, it's called justice. It's called being fair. Everyone has the opportunity to accept life. Everyone has the opportunity to receive Jesus Christ. And if you seize Him, you have life. If you don't, you don't. And Jesus Himself said, I'm coming to give you life. John 10, 10, great verse. The thief's purpose is to steal, to kill, and to destroy. Eternal punishment. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. I want you to have life. Pretty clear, right? I mean, we muddle it up. We make it hard. We, we got questions. We don't like this. And well, this is what about this. Well, God, Christ says, here's what it is. And John's right. I've seen him. I've touched him. I've heard him. Here's what he's saying. And here's what you need to understand. So he, he talks to them and he tells him who the person is who has eternal life. And then he talks about the prospect of fellowship. Now, fellowship's a great word that John uses. He uses it throughout the book. So it becomes very critical for us to know about it. And so here's what he says in verse 3. We proclaim to you what we ourselves have actually seen and heard so that you may have what? Fellowship with us and our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. Fellowship means we have common beliefs. We believe the same about Jesus and what He said and what the Bible teaches. It means that we have a sharing of things in common. We share life. We are partners. We're friends. We're equals. You know, in sight of God, everyone is equal. We have fellowship with God. All that Christians share and celebrate, it's fellowship. We have mutual interest, devotion, activity. Now, the thing you have to understand is that fellowship is both horizontal and vertical. I have fellowship with God when I accept Jesus Christ as my Savior. I believe as He believes. 
I receive what he wants me to receive. I have a relationship with him. And because of that, I have a relationship with other believers. You have to have both. Because if you have fellowship with God, it's automatic that you have to have fellowship with other believers. It's not an option, folks. Because, you know, we're told we got to love each other, right? I mean, it's love God with everything, love people. So the question is, why are we so, is it so difficult for us to do this? Any takers? Because we're selfish. We make it about me and about us. Rather than looking at what we share in common, now our personalities are not alike. We are all different. I mean, some of you are weird. And you look at me and go, yeah, look who's talking, buddy. I understand. But we still share things. And we need to focus on our similarities rather than always bringing to the surface our differences. Because of who we believe and what we believe in, that brings us into a relationship that helps us and strengthens us as we live on this planet. And John writes to them and says, you can have fellowship with me and fellowship with God through all of this. A partnership. Now, look at Acts chapter 2, verse 42. What made the early church so attractive? All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, right? Doctrine, right? We believe the same things. And to fellowship. They, here's, let me just put it simple. They got along with each other. Imagine that. And to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. In other words, we spent time together. They, they were, were, one, we believe this. It's new. It's exciting. It's life. We have life. We like being together. Now, you see, if you like being with your ungodly friends more than your Christian friends, there's a problem. Because Paul writes, what fellowship does light have with darkness? You don't have similarities. It's not there. Down into verse 46 of Acts 2. They worship together, together at the temple each day. They met in homes for the Lord's Supper. They shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship, those who were being saved. See, fellowship involves membership. It involves, can you say church here? It's the start of the church, isn't it? What made the church so attractive? Sound doctrine. They believed what the apostles taught, and they got along together and shared life together. And the enemy does everything he can to destroy that, to make us, you know. Um, other day, a while back, I was getting my oil changed in my car. And so I was in the waiting room waiting. And I just happened to look around. I don't know, there's half a dozen, eight people in the room. Every person, every person was on their phone doing this. Do you know that this stops fellowship? And so 
fellowship involves us wanting to be together and focusing on our similarities, understanding that we all are different and we all have differences. And our differences might define us, but they don't divide us. Well, you like that? I don't like that, so I can't be with you anymore. Oh, there's a problem there. Because we have something more important. We have an agreement together in Jesus Christ. And that bond keeps us together. We love God with all our heart and we love people. It's what defines us. In fact, the Bible goes so far to say that that's what's going to declare to the people who aren't godly that you're a Christian. The way you love people the way you get along with the brothers and sisters, the way you have fellowship together. And so John uses that great word there, and he says, you know, that's, that's what we look for. That's what it's about. We've seen him, we've heard him, and we've, we've done all of this so that you can have fellowship with us because we have fellowship with God. And so you have a way to be involved with a group of people that you share something in common with. That is the greatest thing to share in life. Now that does not mean you have to, whenever you get it wrong, always talk about Jesus. That doesn't hurt. But it does mean this, that when I'm with fellow believers, I know that we share that bond, and therefore I can get along. Now I don't have to have my way, and I can care for others more than I care for myself. Fellowship. Church. We still good? Well, that's kind of amazing. Nobody's questioning. Okay. Last verse. He talks about the pursuit of joy. He says, now notice, we proclaim this, we proclaim this, we proclaim this, and then in verse 4 he says, here's why I'm writing this. So that you may fully share our joy. Joy happens because you have fellowship on the inside. Happiness happens because everything on the outside is going the way you want it to. Joy says, I have fellowship with God. I'm in right standing with people. You prayed earlier, Lord, forgive us as we forgive others. Because I have that relationship, I get to have joy. And so, he writes that, and notice, John, notice what John writes in, in his gospel in John chapter 15, verse 10. When you obey my commandments, you remain in my love, just as I obey my Father's commandments and remain in His love. I've told you these things, why? So that you will be filled with my joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. This is my commandment. Leave each other in the same way I've loved you. If you're not getting along with people, you don't have joy. Fellowship brings joy. And so John says, look, I'm writing this. There's bad things going on. There's doctrine coming in. But I'm writing this so that you can have the joy that only Jesus Christ can give to you because he's the only one who can give to you life. And because he brings life to you, you have joy. John chapter 17, verse 13. Now I'm coming to you. 
I've told them many things while I was with them in this world so that they would be filled with my joy. Other places in the New Testament would say, be joyful always. Why? How can I do that? Fellowship. God and I are good, and I'm good with other people. I got joy. And joy is the response of someone who is rightly related to God through the knowledge of Jesus Christ and related to people, especially the believers. If you don't have those two relationships in right order, you will struggle with having joy in your life. And so he gives that to us and he says, I'm writing this to you. I want you to have this joy that can only come through the life that Jesus Christ offers you through the fellowship that he brings because of it. So, it's really the test of Christianity. It's at the heart of it. You probably don't hear it much. I probably should say it more. Three things. A belief in Jesus. A right understanding of Jesus Christ and who He is and His relationship to God the Father. And you have a salvation that comes through Jesus Christ. That's makes you a Christian. And then you have fellowship with God. That's why you pray. That's why you can talk to Him. That's why you sense His presence, Holy Spirit in you. There's that fellowship that's there of recognizing His presence. And then you get along with your brothers and sisters in Christ. And then, because, of, well, how do I know what I'm doing that? I'm glad you ask. You have joy. The joy of the Lord is my strength. That joy is because I have life that only Jesus Christ can give to me. And in Him, there is no darkness. In Him, there is light. And in Him, there is life. He is the only way to life. So the question is this, anybody watching, are you in a right relationship with Jesus Christ, with God? your belief and doctrine, this is what I believe, this is what I know, this is who I am, this is what it's about. And are you getting along with God and people? Are you in right relationship there? And do you have the joy that does not come from circumstances, but it comes from an understanding of who I am in Christ and the fellowship I get to have with other believers? Therefore, be joyful always. So can you check all those boxes? And if you can't, which one do you need to work on? Which one do you need to address? That'd be a good thing to do. So tonight, I'm going to pray, and then we get to go, and we get to go with joy because of our relationship with God and our fellowship with Him and with others. Father, thank You for this little book that's given to us and John proclaiming that there is only life found in Jesus Christ. There's no other way. And thank You for helping us to grab a hold of that a little bit more each and every day, to recognize our life is in Him because He is in us. We thank You for that understanding. And we thank You for how, because of that, we have fellowship with God.
we have His presence in our life through His Spirit. And that allows us to have fellowship with our brothers and sisters. And when we live our life with that, we get to live with joy. So Lord, as we go from this place tonight, as we go tonight, as we wake up tomorrow, and as we go about our activities of the next several days, let joy be a strength of our life, I pray. Thank you for joining us for tonight's service. If you would like to talk with someone about what you've heard, please visit our website at faith.ag or call us at 239-543-2700. If you're in the Fort Myers area and don't already have a church home, you're invited to join us for Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. We also gather on Sunday mornings at 8.15 and 10.45 a.m. Faith Assembly is located at 7101 Bayshore Road. Join us again next time for Wednesday night at Faith Assembly. Faith Assembly's Wednesday night is a production of Faith Assembly Media Tech, North Fort Myers, Florida.